0: You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, tablets like the first ones. Because of the golden calf incident, which Moses had just recounted, where he broke the literal tablets of the law that they had broken, they needed to be replaced. At that time the Lord said to me, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and come up to me on the mountain. Also make a wooden ark. I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Then you are to put them in the ark. So I made the ark out of acacia wood and chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones. And I went up on the mountain with the two tablets in my hands. The Lord wrote on these tablets what he had written before, the Ten Commandments he had proclaimed to you on the mountain, out of the fire, on the day of the assembly, and the Lord gave them to me. Then I came back down the mountain and put the tablets in the ark I had made as the Lord commanded me, and they are there now. This shows us that it was God who wrote the Ten Commandments, not Moses like a remake movie of these events, portrayed Moses chiseling the words out as if they were his idea. So these tablets were the same size as previously, and Moses brought the blank tablets up on the mountain and then stored them in the Ark or box he had made. Later they were transferred to the Ark of the Covenant. So every time God forgave his rebellious people was an act of mercy. Verses 6 to 9, Priests and Levites Restored Because Aaron was the one who fashioned the golden calf and the Levites were zealous in avenging the perpetrators on God's behalf, he restored Aaron so he could then be the high priest and installed the tribe of Levi as the priests' helpers. Then he skips ahead 40 years to the death of Aaron in the district of Mount Hor and includes some of their travel stops. Moses' intercession for Aaron was successful, since he lived another forty years. The Israelites traveled from the wells of Bene Jachin to Mosera. There Aaron died and was buried, and Eleazar his son succeeded him as priest. From there they traveled to Gogoda and on to Jodbatha, a land with streams of water at that time the lord set apart the tribe of levi to carry the ark of the covenant of the lord to stand before the lord to minister and to pronounce blessings in his name as they still do today and that is why the levites have no share or inheritance among their fellow israelites the lord is their inheritance as the lord your god told them so all other tribes would inherit their own territory in canaan or east of the jordan But the Levites would have places to live within the territories of the other tribes. Their sustenance would be provided for by tithes and offerings. Verses 10 and 11, another forty days and nights. Now I had stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights, as I did the first time, and the Lord listened to me at this time also. It was not his will to destroy you. Go, the Lord said to me, and lead the people on their way, so that they may enter and possess the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. So this shows Moses' intercession, rather than their righteousness, and God's disposition towards the people is one of concern and shows his commitment to his covenant to their ancestors, in spite of their willful disobedience. Verses 12 and 11, what does God expect? And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. They don't have to wonder what God expects of them. It is clear. It will be repeated later in their history. The book of Micah says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So this is a rhetorical question that Micah asks, wondering why, in light of God's faithfulness, they would continue with their hypocrisy by being outwardly religious but inwardly sinful. They ask about required worship, extravagant worship, or even child sacrifice. He answers that they should know the answer. They were offering everything except the one thing he wanted, spiritual commitment of the heart, leading to right behavior. So this question, what does the Lord ask of you, is one that must penetrate our conscience. Nothing else matters. We must seek out the answer and then apply it to our lives. Although the answer is simple, it is by no means easy, as we'll see from the sad history of the children of Israel after the death of Moses and Joshua, Recorded in the historical books of the Bible. One could wrongly conclude that God is only concerned with behavior modification of His people by following a set of rules, since He gave so many. But He is more concerned with inward transformation, which will lead to joyful obedience to Him. The problem isn't outside of us, but inside of us, in our hearts. We don't need more rules, we need a heart transplant obedience will follow repentance as surely as day follows night. They are to fear, obey, love, and serve God wholeheartedly. This is for their own good. To fear God is to hold him in awe and submit to him. It results in obedience, love, and service for God. They were to set their affections on him alone. So how can love be commanded? Well, it can only happen when our hearts have been circumcised which represents repentance. His worship was to be the central focus of their lives. There must be balance. If we fear God without loving him, we end up in terror and resort to superstitions, taboos, occult practices, and religious ritual. If we love him without fearing him, we will dissolve into sentimentalism and experience and have little concern for holiness and the knowledge of God. Verses 14 to 16, this great God chose you. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. So, this describes the majesty and sovereignty of God over heaven and earth and the whole universe. They belong to Him because of His creation of them. So, He can do what He wishes with His creation, and He has, by choosing to love them. And in spite of His transcendence, He condescended to sovereignly choose their ancestors, love them and their descendants, and raise them above all nations. In light of this great privilege, they were to repent and cease their stubborn rebellion. Because God chose them, they must choose him. And Moses takes this physical sign of the covenant, circumcision, which they understood so well, and made it metaphorical for repentance or cutting away the sinful nature. So even in the old covenant, it was never meant to be an end in itself, but it pointed forward to something greater. Verses 17 to 19, be as kind and merciful as God is. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. God is described as above all gods or lords. He is great, mighty, and awesome. He shows no partiality to anyone because uh, of anything that may sway a human judge. He is not influenced by the personal importance, power, or wealth of individuals. He is not susceptible to bribes because he owns all things. What could we possibly offer him? That means each person is valuable in his sight because they are all made in the image of God. Before him we all stand on level ground. He defends the weak, always described as the fatherless, the widow, and the stranger. He not only defends them, he loves them and provides for them. Because of his example and their own history as foreigners in Egypt, They are also to love those who are foreigners. Treating people with equity is not the same as treating them equally. An example is an employer who allows all of his employees to have the month of July off. That is treating them equally. But it is not practical. But allowing each employee to have four weeks of vacation per year When it suits both the employee and the employer, is an example of treating their employees equitably. God doesn't treat people equally in the sense of giving all people the same blessings and gifts, as if it was a communist system. There are rich and poor in the world, powerful and weak, leaders and followers. Scripture makes that clear. Not everyone will be in heaven. But he is nevertheless equitable in his treatment of his creation. He treats everyone with justice, compassion, and dignity. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, Jesus says in Matthew 5.45. So because we serve an impartial judge, we must conduct ourselves accordingly. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. D.A. Carson says, we must never confuse election with partiality. Partiality is favoritism that is corrupted by a willingness to pervert justice for the sake of the favored few. Election chooses certain people out of God's free decision and nothing else. And even then, justice is not perverted, hence the cross. Verses 20-22, to 22, praise this God who keeps his promises. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. So they need to be, keep being told to fear God and serve him because they and we forget. They are to hold fast to him and this means to stick to him, cling or hold on to him. And this idea is found in the old word cleave, used in relation to the closeness of a marriage relationship. Then they are to take oaths in his name, and this was a pledge to affirm something as true. This bound them to fulfill any obligations they made. They were to praise him because he was their God, the one who performed great and awesome wonders in Egypt and in the wilderness. These adults were children then. But they were eyewitnesses of these things. They didn't just hear about them second hand. So they had no reason to lack faith, love or devotion to God. And when we focus on God, we have much for which to praise. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. So the proof that God could be depended on to be faithful should be praised for his greatness and obeyed with wholehearted worship is seen if they just look around at the innumerable company standing there about to enter Canaan. Their ancestors, the family of Jacob, went down to Egypt as a small group of 70 persons. Now they had left Egypt as a nation of approximately 2 million people god has kept his promise to their ancestors abraham isaac and jacob scarlet threads so what scarlet threads or hints of jesus christ or application to the gospel do we find in this chapter god gave clear instructions about his expectations of the israelites if we truly followed the ten commandments we would be fulfilling the whole of god's law they were to love god wholeheartedly and we are to love him in the same way. But we can only love him because he first loved us, and when our hearts are circumcised, when our stony heart has been replaced by a heart of flesh, and when our minds are changed. So they were to fear God. It is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. It leads us to hate evil and avoid sin, and it brings prosperity and contentment. And it prolongs life. So failure to fear God is a characteristic of unbelievers. Believers are to fear God because it gives us a proper perspective about fear of people because we should fear God more and because it will encourage us to evangelize. They were to walk in his ways or conduct their life in accordance with his will and in obedience to his laws. They were to care for widows, orphans, and foreigners, because that's what God does, and they knew what it was like to be a foreigner. We are to do this even now in the New Covenant. God is impartial. Peter quoted this when the Gentiles came to faith in Christ, showing that the gospel appeal is now universal. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Uh, You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Deuteronomy chapter 11. May God bless the study of his word.